Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Good morning. I will need to do this. Take a little risk in here, but I can't really talk otherwise. It's good to see you. So to start, I do have a message for you today, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. may take a little bit to get into it, but I'll, I'll be all right. Thank you, first of all, for coming in. Thank you for being here with us today. We appreciate it deeply. And we hope that this will be a time of inspiration and uh, encouragement. But I need to get your curiosity. Some of you know things, some of you don't. <laughs> the grapevine is really, really fast, right? It's a speed of light. Um, I have bad news for you, and I have good news. So I'm going to go through the bad news first, and then we concentrate on the good news. How's that? Bad news. Um, I have brain cancer and is aggressive. Um, I will have a surgery on Wednesday. It was scheduled for tomorrow, but they had to postpone it. So it will be on Wednesday. Um, that's, in essence, I think enough bad news <laughs> to give the idea. The reason why I ask everyone, and please forgive me for doing it, but thank you so much. I appreciate your collaboration to be heavily screened today and uh, to all wear masks regardless of whether you're vaccinated or healthy or whatever. It's because my immune system is already being put down. And so anything at this point that I catch could be life-threatening and, you know, in the aftermath. So thank you so much for your collaboration, your help in that. I appreciate it. Um, I can't hide from you that has been a bit of a journey, uh, quite quick. Symptoms were there before. I remember some of you remember a sermon in here that had a very difficulty, a lot of difficulty, you know, in delivering. And uh, we thought it was for other reasons, but now we understand that it was because of, because of this. Nevertheless, God is good, and he is absolutely awesome. The good news. Well, um, believe it or not, it could be worse. The cancer is located in a close to the surface, close to the skull. It's not apparently embedded too deep inside, so the uh, neurosurgeon thinks that he can remove most of it. But of course, until they go in, there's no way of actually knowing for sure what the situation looks like. But the good news is that it's not deeply embedded in the brain, so there are possibilities there. Now, because it is in the visual cortex, the uh, neurosurgeon also said that I should be able to keep pesting you with some preaching afterwards 
They also said that I should be able to still make sense while I'm preaching at you <laughs> and have some, still some cognitive ability here to, to get at you. Um, apparently, my mobility will not be affected, um, assuming, of course, that what they see at the moment and what they uh, quote-unquote predict at the moment is accurate. So that's some good news in there. The visual cortex is affected, though, so I don't know what that is going to mean. We'll have to take it one step at a time. Now, today... Um, as soon as I'm done with this, I will need to leave. Sue will come with me and take me home. She wants to come back, and I'll, I'll see. But please use with Suzanne the same precautionary measures that you use with me because she lives with me, and again, any infection right now would not be a good thing. I deeply appreciate your prayers. Um, I am moved, I'm touched by how many churches locally here are praying one church is having a prayer service, in, well, half an hour ago. <laughs> um, and others, I heard there are some churches in Africa that are praying for this, which I'm completely shocked. But I would like to share one thing, though. You know, God does, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's great, it's wonderful, because it brings us together in the presence of God, and it it continues in that communion that with with God and nurtures that communion that we have with God and with one another. But I would like to remind all of you before we go ahead with some things I would like to share with you that God really doesn't need a lot of prayers. He's not bow that needs to be begged and pushed to answer our prayers. A, a 15 second prayer can move mountains but I think the good thing about this is the fact that we are one. And that oneness and that communion brings us together. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing. I would like to encourage all of you to nurture it and to treasure it. Um, I better get to what I wanted to share with you today. Is that clear? Yeah. God loves you. I, I'll tell you, I could talk for hours and hours and hours. This is not just a cliche, but I can talk for hours and hours and hours on the topics and I'm going to be uh, looking at you. Can I move this? Do you mind? You guys look funny with a stick in your face. <laughs> All right. So I can talk uh, for hours and hours, and, and a couple of you, a few of you, have heard me talk about these things before, so if I repeat that, I think you will understand why I put it in, in this context. But I wanted to share some very important things with you today, very, very, very important. And if you don't mind, if I go a couple of minutes over time, I'm not going to worry too much. Is that okay? Do we have a deal with it? Okay, but I'll try to keep it in, in the right perspective, in the right timing. God loves you. What does it mean? Well, let me summarize with, for you um, some of the things that we know about God that tells us how much he loves us. God has given himself for us, but not just in the way we normally hear. God has given himself because 
look, he, he created all things, right? There was nothing, and then God created. But God does not need any of those things. He created it for us. He created it to share a communion with us, to, to commune with us, to be at one with us, and to share all those things with us so that we can participate in who he is and, and what he does and in his love. If you don't mind, I need to take... Sue, can you help me? And Yeah. I'm getting way too warm. One thing at a time. Thank you, Sue. That makes it quicker, and I won't make so much of a mess. All right. So back to us. He, he created us because he loves us. God is love. And he created us to share all the things that he has created. Think, God has created a whole universe, not just for himself. He's created a whole universe to share with you. And he didn't need to do that. He did not need to do that. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he wants to share all things with you. God loves you that much. God loves you in so many ways. And I, I tell you, I, I can go on for hours, but... God loves you to the point of, of, of putting up with all of us, of forgiving us. When Adam and Eve sinned, you know, many people say he kicked them out of Eden. Well, actually, he protected them. He sent them out of the Garden of Eden so that they would not take of a tree of life and live in sin forever. It was a protective action. He loved them, and he still loves you today, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter the mess that you've made. Some of you think that God is going to send you to hell because you made some mistakes. Let me tell you something. If you think that, it means you don't know God yet. Because God is love, and God has a plan for you, and it's a good plan for you. And his plan is not to condemn you or, 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 or to toss you away or to throw you away like a piece of trash. His plan is to make you thrive in him, in his life. I'm jumping. Go through the entire Old Testament and see how patient God has been with humanity. But then go to the New Testament. What has God done in the New Testament? No. He gave himself. God is one. We don't have many gods. We have one God, right? So God gave himself. In a person of his son, fine. But he gave himself. He gave himself for you. But wait a minute. What does that mean? It means that God chose to change himself for you. Because God, up to the incarnation, was never human, was always fully God, but that was it. But in the incarnation, God has made a choice. God has made a choice for you. God chose to make himself human so that he can connect with you and you can connect with him. So he changed his very nature to have a relationship with you. And I think how many people do you know that that would be willing to do that, even at the human level? It's crazy, isn't it? God's love is a crazy love. <laughs> it, it's amazing. But he loves you that much. But that's not enough because he didn't just change himself for a little bit and say, okay, I'm going to be human for a little bit and then whatever, you know. No. God is fully God and fully man even now and forever. 
He changed his nature for you. He made himself like one of you. He made himself human forever so that you can always be in communion with him. Because listen, God is God. We're human. We're not God. But in Christ, who is fully God, but also fully human, we have that connection with him. We have that communion with him. And in him, we are at one with him forever. Because he's forever fully God and forever fully human. Glorified human. I understand. Don't worry about it. We'll get, put, put a whole bunch of theology in there and I won't go into it. But you see what I mean? He was willing to do that for you. And I'm thinking, you know, how many... No one in the whole universe would be willing to do that. And he did it because he loves you. Because he wants a relationship with you. And I hope you will not be too quick in asking the question, does God love me? Because he does. And he has proven and demonstrated in thousands of different ways. But I want to go further. There's a great deal of suffering in this world, isn't there? Yes, I know. You, you, you feel bad that I'm going through some things. I do too. My family does too, of course. We all do. But I'm not alone, am I? All of you have gone through your things, some big, some small. Many other people are going through things. I was in the emergency room the other day, and there are people in the hallways. It's crazy. There is a lot of suffering in this world. But look, there is a physical suffering, there is emotional suffering, people alienated, etc. And I, I think you are familiar with that too. But think about the scope of the suffering all around the world. The scope of the suffering of all humanity. And then listen carefully. We ask many questions. But listen carefully to what God says through the Apostle Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Well, I can spend an hour just explaining this, but I won't. I'll just give you the pointers and let you do the thinking. Um, first of all, notice that. He considers that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that God is going to be revealing to us. Now here, listen. We just mentioned a moment ago how much suffering there is in this world. It's an awful lot, isn't it? Now imagine, take all the suffering in the world, add it all together. Put it all together. As horrible, as devastating as that is, God has a, a promise for all of you, for all of us, that all of that suffering put together doesn't even begin to compare with the glory that God has in store for you. So if a suffering is so amazingly horrible and big and vast, I don't know the adjective to use for that, how much is that glory going to be? What is that glory going to be like? Think about that. And he tells us that the, the whole creation 
is anxiously longing. But not this what for. Because the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Notice this. Please pay attention. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You. Can you grasp what that means? The creation is going to be set free. And it's going to be set free into the freedom of the glory that God is going to gi- is giving you, has given actually you. It is so big, it's so important that it changes all of creation. The whole universe is affected by that. And again, I can say a lot more. The whole creation is what we're talking about here, not just a portion, not just a little bit. Okay? This is creation and is included. But this is creation too. You can have over one million earths fit inside the sun, and that's part of that creation. And just I'm I'm just gonna give you a little glimpse of the size of what God has created, not because of the physical, but because of the spiritual. We'll get to that in a moment. You see that image? That image is an image of a galaxy. That horizontal line with the numbers. You look at that galaxy. This is a, these are pictures from the Hubble telescope. You look at that galaxy, you look at that line. That line represents 10,000 light years. It takes 10,000 light years for the light to travel that distance. How big is that galaxy? But now here's a question I want to ask you as we go through this. Why would God create all that and say, it's for you? Guys, this is not just out there to be out there. God says that all of creation, not just the previous passage, all of creation is going to be set free in the glory that God gives you. Makes us ask a question from Psalms 144. What is man that you would even pay attention to us, right? That's a lot more than that. God not only pays attention to us, but he's, he's created us. I'll tell you in a minute. He's created us for absolutely mind-boggling and shocking things. He has an, a future for us which is beyond your wildest imagination. But let's go on. An average galaxy like the one you see in the picture here, like the Milky Way, contains between 200 and 400 billion stars. Can you imagine that? Just the sheer size of that. It makes you think about the physical, but still the glory of God. But here, listen to this. The Spirit himself testify with our spirits that we are children of God. For those of you who know it, please be reminded. Those of you who don't know it, you need to really look into that because you are a child of God. Now this is my wording. I'm not saying you're going to be. I say you are a child of God. Whether you realize that you are yet or not, you still are. And I really strongly recommend that you realize it and you come to understand that because it makes an eternal difference. But you are a child of God. And that's a good news. And by the way, the gospel is good news. It's not a kick in the butt and say, here, put up with it if you can. But notice what it says. If we are children of God, 
We're also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, what does it mean to be an heir? It means that we have an inheritance, right? So if we are heirs of God, that means that our inheritance comes from God. And what inheritance does God have to share with us? Creation. That's what he has to share with us. That's the inheritance that he has for us. Because we are fellow heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. We share the same inheritance of Jesus Christ. And God, in John 16, made it very clear what the inheritance is. Because Jesus said, all things that the Father has are mine. Doesn't that sound like an inheritance to you? All things that the Father has are mine. Now, how many things does God have? Everything. And if Jesus said that everything that God has is his, and he's sharing that inheritance with you, well, it means he's sharing all things with you. But that doesn't mean what you see right around you right now. It means all of creation. God wants to share all of creation with you. Now, of course, not just you individually, personally. It's not all yours. <laughs> okay? But all of us, right? But let's move on. Other galaxy, just to remind you of the sheer immensity of what God has done. Keep in mind that our Milky Way galaxy represents only one trillionth of the known universe. Well, I, I could explain a few things about that, but I won't do that. And talking about, look at that. This is a globular cluster. There's a lot of stuff out there. And it's all eagerly longing for you. All of it. Notice what Jesus said in John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus offered to the Father just before his crucifixion at the Last Supper. Notice what he said. And he was praying about you. He was praying about all of us. And he said, Father, I pray not just for those who are here with me today, but for everyone who will hear these things through them, which includes all of you. Notice what he prayed to the Father. He said, Father, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. You know what? I don't think you got it. So let me go through it for a second for you, help you to really catch that, okay? If we can, because I'll tell you, we'll spend a lifetime trying to catch what that says and maybe still have a little bit, not a little bit, a lot. We can think we're going to probably grow into it for the rest of eternity. But listen, the glory which you have given me, how much glory do you suppose that God the Father has given to God the Son? Wouldn't you say all of it? Wouldn't you say infinite? Wouldn't you use words like that? And what did God the Son do with it? God the Father gave Jesus Christ all of the glory of God. And look at what Jesus did. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. Past tense. God has already given it to you. It's your inheritance. Brethren, it's yours. You just need to know it and live it. But it's yours. He has given it to you already. It says, all the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. 
Notice what else he says. Please don't miss it. And he talks about oneness and unity of the body. We can have several sermons about that. But that notice that. So that the world may know two things Jesus said at that point. That you sent me, that God the Father sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, and that you love them even as you loved me. It's not future. It's not conditional. God here is not saying, Jesus, in the prayer to the Father, didn't say, God, let them know that you love them if they're good enough. Jesus didn't say, let them go, that, let them know that you love them if anything. How much do you suppose that God the Father loves God the Son? Would you say infinitely? Jesus made a statement here. He says that just as the Father loves God the Son, the Father loves you. That's why I get upset inside. Maybe sometimes I don't show it. But inside I get upset when people wonder, does God love me? God has given you all the love that it can possibly exist in all of creation, in all of the universe. All the love of God is yours. Because he said that he loves you even just as God the Father loves God the Son. It's as clear as it can be. And it's been there for 2,000 years. Not my invention, guys. Actually, more than 2,000 years. We're getting older. Yeah. Again, Hubble pictures from a Hubble telescope of some of the things that God has created to share with you. And by the way, you will see momentarily more about that too, that God has in mind. Isn't that awesome? But Jesus also said something else. He said, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, just as I also overcame and sat with down with my Father on his throne. That's in Revelation 3. That clearly spells your destiny. That clearly spells what God has in store for you. God has in store for you, for you to sit down with him on his throne. That doesn't mean he's got a huge chairs that can, can, that can fit billions of people, of course, right? It simply means that God is going to share with you, I'm going to repeat it, God is going to share with you his authority, his rule, his government as the king of all creation, as the owner of all creation. His rule over all of creation is going to be shared with you. That's your destiny. That's what God created you for, to share it all with you. Including that. And everything else you could possibly see if you could. And by the way, I want to entertain you with, with something. This is, this is the, the pillars in the, uh, I believe it's the Eagle Nebula. And this is what you see in the visible light. But look what you see in the infrared. It's the same picture. Visible light, infrared. Why do I show you this? To show you how much more is out there. You can't even see at this point. But God has created it for you. To share with you. 
Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea and I saw the holy seated in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for a husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Oh dear, sorry, I lost my... There. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and they will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any more any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Now listen carefully, please. We know this passage. We heard it many times, especially in funerals, because it's a great hope for life. But don't miss the obvious. A new heaven and a new earth. God is going to make all things new. If you think of what you see out there in creation right now is glorious, you just wait until God is done. Because God is not... It's not created you to, to interact with it, to keep it the way it is. Scripture tells us that God is going to make it awesome, beautiful, glorious. Because right now, if you remember what Jesus said through the Apostle Paul earlier than we mentioned, right now creation is in a state of decay. But God, with you, is going to make it glorious. Think about that. And yes, I know, it's going to be a bit of a stretch in the mind to, to, to fathom and imagine all these things. It is indeed. But notice what he says, and there will be no longer any sea. That doesn't mean that God is going to dry up all the water or anything like that. This is an imagery from a book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the sea is where evil comes from. If you look at the, the false prophet, it comes out of the sea and it creates D deception all over the world. If you look at the beast, it comes out of a sea and brings destruction everywhere in the world, okay? So the sea represents where evil comes from. It's clear from those, those imagery, from that imagery. But God says there will no longer be any sea. That means there will no longer be any sorts of evil. Think about that. No place where evil can ever come from anymore. That's awesome news, isn't it? It says a loud voice. God is going to proclaim it with a loud voice. The time has come, guys. Time to get to work. Time to make all things glorious and beautiful. And we're going to do it together as one with him. Of course, we're going to be under him. He is still God. But we're going to be sitting with him on his throne doing all this. And look at what it says. It says the things before, they are gone. No tears, no death, no pain, no suffering. All that we experience right now is just temporary. It's just f for a time. But eternity, it won't be that way. Eternity is going to be in the glory of God. And then it says, notice, the first things have passed away. God is going to make all things new. And do you know when God says all things, he means all things? 
Duh. That takes a lot. That takes a rocket science to understand that, right? When God says all things, He makes all things. They're going to be new and they're going to be glorious. And like I said at the very beginning, He's doing it for you. But bear with me a few more minutes, please. Notice how God ends this, this statement. He said, right, for these words are faithful and true. When we go through things, sometimes we're tempted to question things. We're tempted to wonder, God, this is a bit too good to be true. This seems to be too good to be true. And then we get fogged up by the things of the immediate. I caught myself in the last few days concentrating on the physical things. You know, you can understand that. But then, then God helped me to realize, wait a minute, it's, this, is, this is silly. Why should I concentrate my whole heart and mind on the things that are going to be gone? Poof, gone. Why not concentrate my heart and mind on the things that are going to be there forever? And ever, and ever, and ever. It's just that we don't tend to think that way on a daily basis. And I'm thinking, too bad, we should. Couple of other pictures, maybe? No, just one more. I cut it short. Remember what we started with in this brief section? The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Notice it doesn't say into the freedom of the glory of God. Did you notice that before? Did you notice that it doesn't say that? Although you would expect it to say. You notice that it didn't say that? It says that all creation is going to be set free from its slavery to corruption. That means it's going to be made glorious. No more corruption. No more limitations. No more junk. Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You. All of you. Unless you reject them. And you say, no, I don't want it. Which I think you're too smart to do that, otherwise you wouldn't be here to begin with, right? <laughs> so look at this, what God is in, in store for you. You're, the glory that God is going to share with you is going to be so amazing and so much. I don't know how to describe it. Please forgive me. I don't know what words to use, but it's going to be so awesome that it's going to change the entire creation. And you are going to be there with them. We are all going to be there with them. We're going to contribute to that change, to that, to that renewal to that beautification because God is a God of beauty. God is a God of glory. But I have a couple more things to share with you before we wrap it up. First of all, as far as you can think, as far as you can imagine, as long as you can imagine, as long as you can think, you can see it in the slide, it will always be just the beginning. Sometimes in life we look at ends with God where we look at beginnings. Always. It's just the beginning. The beginning of joy, the beginning of glory, the beginning of peace, the beginning of all these things that you read in Scripture. But right now we talked about glory. Remember the glory which you're giving me, I have given to them, Jesus said in the prayer to the Father in John 17. We talked of glory in terms of splendor and majesty. There is one more dimension that the Bible shares with us, and that's in terms of the character of God. And that's what I want to leave you with today.
And he said to him, well, this is Jesus answering a statement, a question from one of the teachers of the law. The teacher of the law questioned Jesus in terms of the greatest commandment. Here's what he says. You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a great and foremost commandment. And the second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice this. Notice this carefully, please. On these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. The entire law and the prophets depend on that one word, love, which is expressed in two commandments. Love toward God, love toward man which is then expounded in the Ten Commandments, is expounded then in the Law, in the Prophets, in the New Testament, and so on. But what does that mean? Notice what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, of course, you may say, okay, wait a minute, God said that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves in the Old Testament long, long ago. Now in the New Testament, Jesus says, love one another even as I have loved you. And he calls it a new commandment. So I'm thinking, you know, you scratch your head and say, how in the world this is a new commandment for crying out loud? Did you notice? It doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself. It says love one another the way I loved you. And here I go tilt. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. God is love. I'm not. God is perfect. I'm not. Okay? So how in the world can you, God, tell me to love my neighbor as you love me? Kind of defies my understanding, doesn't it? Now this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, who causes his Son to rise over the evil and the good and sends rain and on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> you think you're going to be in tilt before? <laughs> I'm thinking, Lord, hold on a second. Oh, hold a minute. You got something up your sleeve in here. You have to because this is, this is impossible. How can I love the way you love first? But now you're telling me that I do love my enemy. Now, by, by definition, the enemy is an individual that is actively seeking to destroy me. And God says, love them. I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a problem with it. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. But if that was not enough, look at the last sentence. You, you read the rest. You understand. I don't need to explain every single thing of it. Notice, therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay. If you got me in trouble before, now I'm done. How in the world could I possibly even begin to think of being perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect? And yet, read it again, is what God commands you to be. Okay, at this point I say, God, 
we got a problem. All right, we got a problem. We have a problem because you're asking me to do the impossible. Right? Isn't that impossible? Let's be honest. All right, so you're puzzled. I see, your, I see it in your faces. I see it in your eyes. You're puzzled. How in the world can God ask us to do the impossible? But this is where God says, Aha, uh-huh. gotcha. Now I finally got you to think the way you need to think. And I'm going to share with you the answer from God. God says through the Apostle Peter that he has shared, I mean, it's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Again, I can explain this for a long time, but I won't. I'll let you do your own study of that. But look at the essential parts that gives you the direction in here. Notice what he says. God has made you, all of us, partakers of his divine nature. Didn't we say before, didn't we remember from 1 John 4, uh, chapter 4 and verse 8 and 16, that God is love? Okay, that's his nature. God is love. Now he says that God is sharing with us his nature. He makes us partakers of his nature. He's not asking us, hey, Luciano, you got to work out my love. You have to build up and produce the love that I have for you. You have to produce it for me. God says, no, I'm going to make you partaker of my nature so that my nature in you, my nature of love, will pour that love in you. Notice the next verse. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out with, within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. That's Romans 5.5. 5. What's it saying? It's saying that the Holy Spirit, God, is pouring out in your heart the very love of God. So here's your answer. God says, love the way I do. I say, Lord, I can't. I want to, but it's impossible for me. And God says, no worry, because I give you my love. I give you my nature. I'm going to share my nature. I'm going to share myself with you. I'm going to be in you, and you're going to be in me, and my presence in you. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not just the power. The Holy Spirit is not just the strength of God. It's God himself living in you. And God says, living in you, I'm sharing myself with you. I'm giving you my very nature, which is a nature of love. And it is my love in you that will do that, not your own, because you don't have it, and you can't have it. But you see, the lesson that God is teaching us is to rely on him for everything, for everything, including for the love that we need to show him. And he says, I gave you that love. I'm giving it to you. You don't have to bring it up. You don't have to produce it. You have to express it to one another. That's our calling. Not to generate that love, but to accept it from God and to express it toward one another. And of course, I still feel like, Lord, I can't do it. And the Lord says, I know. I know. That's the way I made you. And here's the deal. When you go to God... And you say, God, you ask me to love the way you love. Lord, I confess I don't. You know what that's called? I just told you. Confession. Have you heard in the Bible the word confession? That means you're admitting to God that you cannot do 
what God has called you to do. Lord, I confess that I cannot, but I acknowledge that you in me can. It's not me, but you in me. See, where does the pride go? Where does pride go here? Where does the being stuck up, hey, I'm better than everybody else go? It goes, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone forever. But there is an acknowledgement on confession. Lord, I am nothing, but you and me are everything. Lord, I can't love the way you ask me to, but you can in me. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's all about him. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. I say this because many times people, when we talk about love, say, yeah, 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 you talk about all this syrupy stuff, but you forget the law. You know, the one that knocks you on the head. So do this and do that. Listen, God tells us to do this and do that because we have no idea. Be honest with yourself. You have no clue. I have no clue of what the love of God really looks like. Right? We have no idea. And so what does God do? God gives us the law to show us, to illustrate what that love is all about. To let us see that love means when you love someone, you don't kick them in the face. When you love someone, you don't commit adultery. When you love someone, you don't do that. When you love someone, you do something different. And so God teaches us what that love, by the way, His love, not your love, His love in you looks like so that you can learn to express it. And that, through the Apostle Paul, God says, is a fulfillment of all the law. Then notice what, again, through the Apostle Paul, God tells you. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you notice what that says? Please pay attention to that. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I'm dead to myself. I'm no longer alive to myself. But I live in Christ. It's no longer me, but Christ in me. Remember that phrase. Don't ever forget it. For the rest of your life, don't ever forget that phrase. Not I, but Christ in me. Please, please, brethren, don't go to God and say, God, help me to overcome this problem. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's a pastor telling me, don't pray like that. Yeah. I don't say don't pray. I say don't pray like that. Why? I'll tell you why. Just in case you didn't catch it. It's because when you pray, God, help me to overcome this or that problem, you're putting yourself in the middle. You're the knight in shiny armor. You're the one who does the job. But guess what? The reality is you are not the one doing the job. Look at what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. It's not I, but Christ in me. 
So instead of going to God and say, God, help me to overcome this, help me to, to, to go over this, go to God and say, Lord, I confess to you that I cannot. But I also confess and acknowledge that you can. It's not about me. It's about you. Do in me what I cannot do. Live in me in a way that I cannot. Because I'm dead to myself. And I'm alive in you. Let your life shine in me, not my own. Let your glory not my own. Let your praises, not my own. That's what Paul teaches us here. It's not about us. It's about God. And what God is doing in you. Trust Him. Put your life in His hands. Because listen, everywhere you put your life, you're going to be disappointed. But there's one place where you can put your life and it's in God's hands. One place you can put your life is in God's love. And he will show you how to express it. Because that's his desire for us. For all of us to learn how that love of God is going to change the whole universe. And it starts with you. Now. Here. And every day that comes. A new commandment I give to you. Remember? We read it a little bit ago. In John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. You now understand. You now know. That you can't do it yourself. It has to be God doing it in you. So the key word is not overcoming. Although overcoming is in scripture. And it's what's going to be happening. But the key word for that is surrender. Because as you surrender to God, as you allow him to live in you, you're already an overcomer because he is the one overcoming in you. Because you cannot overcome the world, but Christ has already overcome the world. Hasn't he? And that's the key to the whole thing. And honestly, brethren, that's what I really want to leave you with today. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for your love. Listen, I've seen many churches. And I can tell you one thing. This small little church is a church that is learning and learning and learning what that love of God is all about. That is not about us. It's all about him, but it changes everything. And I am thrilled to have been part of that. And I'm looking forward, God willing, to continue to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to the remaining part of the journey. Whatever that journey is going to look like, I don't know. But hey, even if my journey is closing here, if, even if my journey is ending here, I have one thing that really warms my heart. I leave you with that. Love one another. Not with your own love, but with the love of God. Let God love through you. Let his love fill your heart. Let his presence, the Holy Spirit, fill you in such a way that you will express not your own wishes, not your own life, but his life in you. His spirit in you. Let it shine. And you will make a difference in the whole world.
brethren, I love you. I'll be away from you for you from you for a while for obvious reasons. But I leave in Ron as our assistant pastor. He's quite capable and he will lead things and he will help you. We also have a regional pastor that promised to help in any way necessary. We have um, a leadership team that we also um, addressed yesterday. In fact, I kind of overdid it yesterday. That's why I have to sit today um, because I did too much. So I have to be careful now. But would the leadership team please stand up for a quick second? All of you, please. The ones that we talked to yesterday. That does not mean these are better people than others. It's just the people that, hey, Ron, what are you doing sitting down, man? Had to be comfortable there, huh? <laughs> okay, why am I asking them to stand up? First of all, because I want to pray for them. And second, because I would like for you to acknowledge that they're here, that God has provided them. Again, it's not mean they're better than others. It just simply means that they have certain roles that to help the church. And there could be more of them, but several of you are, are, are dealing with your own things. For example, I would put Naomi in there, but she's recovering, so let her recover, you know, and take care of herself. But brethren, help one another during this time. But be aware, and here's my final recommend, not final, I mean for the moment it being, my recommendation to the leadership team and all the membership, serve your role. Don't try to do too much. If you try to do everything, it's going to be confusing, it's going to be a mess. Do what you're called to do and do it well. And if you're not being called as part of a quote-unquote leadership team, that doesn't mean you don't have a role. You have a very, very important role in the body of Christ. You have a very important role. So do what God has called you to do and do it with all your might, God says. Not on your own strength, because that would be a mistake. But let God do that in you. Let God express it in you. So join me in prayers. We pray for them as they take specific roles in certain things, at least for the time being. Father, we thank you so much for this congregation. We thank you for the love that you have poured out in the hearts of all these people, of all of us. We thank you, Lord, for the work you've done in us and through us. We thank you for the many lives that you have seen fit to reach out to and to touch. We ask you that they may continue indeed. Lord, we, you have worked in us and through us and not in vain. So please let that work continue and let all of us be faithful. We ask a very special blessing on all the congregation, but specifically on a few key people that have accepted to take certain roles to help me and to replace me during this time. We ask you that you will bless them. We ask you, Lord, that you will give your wisdom and pour your wisdom in their hearts, and that you would indeed pour your blessings upon them, but grant them a spirit of peace and a spirit of harmony to work with all the congregation, because we're all part of your body. And so, Father, let your work be done and continue. Don't let anyone be discouraged. Grant us all to find the strength and the encouragement that we have in you and to work together, not for ourselves, but for your kingdom. So please bless these individuals in particular. 
specifically, but also blessed the entire congregation and gave us that peace and the harmony that we need to work together the way you would want us to work. We praise you and thank you and commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I know that when somebody asks me to stand up for a little while, it becomes a little bit awkward. All right, guys, there's no good way of saying this, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I need to be careful. My, like I said earlier, my immune system is already being kind of not quite shut down, but, you know, dropped down quite a bit. I have to be very careful. Right now it could be dangerous. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be with you for the last song and then immediately leave. Um, I give you all a huge, huge hug. And I will miss you tremendously. But we are planning on doing some things to keep in touch with you as well. Maybe Zoom or this or that, whatever. Whatever we can do. We're going to keep in touch as much as God gives us the ability to. Um, thank you for your help. Please continue to help one another. And uh, what else can I say? God loves you. And God has awesome plans for you. Live it up.